So the first verse that we deal with right off the bat here in 1 Corinthians 16 speaks of this collection. And we assume, uh, and it's not assuming as we go through other scripture, we see that uh, they must have already known about this, the Corinthian church. Uh, that had already been uh, asked of them to, to be ready. Have it, have it all together. Have your collection ready. And whenever we come back by and pick this up, then we'll take it to Jerusalem. So this was probably mentioned in the letter they had written to Paul as he responds back in 1 Corinthians about uh, this whole matter of the collection and giving. And first of all, we see that concerning the collection for the saints. What's the collection about? Well, we know it's to the Lord, but He doesn't need the money. You know, He owns everything anyway, but what does He want for that to do? Well, He wants it, to, first of all, to go for the saints. For the saints, in this particular case, in Jerusalem. Right in the context, but we know that that applies to today too. We know that. So he was gathering collections from Galatia. He had been there, collected that up uh, from Macedonia, um, Achaia, those different places. They gathered up the money. He's uh, putting it together, him and some of his other traveling companions, and they're going to be taken into Jerusalem eventually. Uh, if you look in Romans chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, and that's the book just before 1 Corinthians. Romans 15, 26. Right at the end of that letter, or getting close to it anyway. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. There were saints in the Greek realm. Most of those were Gentiles. And the Gentiles are actually taking up an offering and sending money back to the Jewish people that were Christians in Jerusalem. Now, isn't that amazing? In the early days of the church, you see the Gentiles and the Jews being able to be together. That is a miracle. I mean, that would have never happened before. And now you have that happen. Boy, that's a testimony to Christianity, isn't it? That's a proof of Christianity there. How could that ever happen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the next letter that Paul wrote, first five verses, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now look at this Macedonian church. This is amazing about these people. That in a great trial of affliction, right there in Macedonia, Paul knew about trials of affliction. He says it's great. The abundance, look at this, abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. It was they gave themselves to God. They were very poor and going under heavy trials of affliction. But they were abundant in their joy and out of their deep poverty, 
They abounded in their giving. Can you imagine that? That's an incredible story. And that's what Paul tells the Corinthians. And I'm sure he's telling that to the Corinthians because I'm sure they probably didn't feel like giving. And so, you know, you know the, uh, the character of the Corinthian church as we have studied all the way through here. And so imagine, imagine this. So he gives them that illustration. You know the Macedonians over there? I want to tell you how bad they've got it. And they're full of joy. And they're giving beyond their ability. That is incredible. Incredible. Look in Galatians 6.14. It's the next book over. No, no, no. That's not the one. I had that marked out. thought I had it underlined. I had something else in mind. Never mind. Okay. So who is it for? It's for the saints. And we know that the offering also goes to uh, other people, but it starts with the church, the people of God. The, the reasons. Why are they giving to the saints in Jerusalem? Jerusalem's the capital city, you know, of Judaism, and, and the church was born there. You know, a lot of people there. There's got to be a lot of money there in Jerusalem. No, there's not. Not in the church. Uh, terrible poverty had happened in Jerusalem. And it was very common in that time. Jerusalem was a poor city and it was overpopulated and they were strained. Many of the first converts uh, to Christianity had come there and whenever uh, we think of the day of Pentecost, you know, the, the birth of the church and such there in Jerusalem, do you know what happened? A lot of people who had come from all over just wanted to stay there. Something happened in an amazing way. You know, the church. They were a part of it. They didn't want to leave it because they knew where they were going. There was nothing there. So they just kind of stayed around. And they tried to pick up jobs and there weren't any jobs. And so the church is taking care of them. And you know they bring them into their homes. And they get strained now too. And, and we know that they're taking up some of their uh, goods and selling them and taking that money and dividing it up. Uh, so the people came there and they continued to celebrate and they wanted to be around that fellowship. So they're selling the possessions. And eventually the resources ran out. There's really nothing left. There had been a famine in Jerusalem. Go to Acts chapter 8, first three verses. Now Saul, and that's the one who is later known as Paul, was consenting to his death, Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Persecution. Uh, First of all, you're going to lose your jobs. If you work for a Jewish person who's not a Christian and he doesn't want anything about that, all of a sudden you're cut off. You're cut off from almost everything. You're cut off from the temple, your job, everything. You know, everything has started to happen. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Isn't that amazing? Paul, who wrote all those letters, look what he had done, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison, splitting up families. This had to be really hard. Uh, You have the breadwinner of the house, boom. They take him, he's gone to jail. Now what do we do? Right? What are we going to do now? This is the kind of situation. This is a drastic situation. Look in chapter 11, verse 28 of Acts. (laughs) 
Then one of them named Agabus, there is Antioch, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So he prophesied that there was going to be a famine not only in Jerusalem and such, but it was going to be overtaking all the world. So that prophecy was given. Um, If we go to Acts 2, verse 44 and 45, go back to the very early days of the church. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now do you understand why they were doing that? Some people say, well, that's, that's an opportunity there for communism. You know? Well, this is something that had to be done. Uh, people needed something. They're not taking it from the government. It was the people in the church that were sharing whatever they had with people who had nothing. And so they did that. Chapter 4, verse 34 of Acts. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. and distributed to each as anyone had need. So they're distributing everything around for all the ones who have need. Paul wanted the churches all over, all over the the known realm where the churches were at, he wanted them all to work together on this great collection. Gentiles are helping out Jews. And they're Christians. This giving is going to strengthen the bond now between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews are getting gifts from Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians are. Boy, how sweet that must have been. Really. That had to make an impact on them in Jerusalem, don't you think? Quite something. Quite a bond. And and Paul knew that. So this established a tremendous fellowship in the church between them. Um... Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. <clears throat> imploring us, here are the Macedonians imploring Paul and the other apostles or whoever's with him. And Paul's saying, hey, listen guys, you guys are in quite a bind. Um, you need to really back off. And they're saying with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. See what they're saying? Take it. Please take it. God will take care of us. You take it to those people there back in Jerusalem. That's a, quite a testimony. Look in chapter 9, verse 13. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Okay, Corinthians, you share with what the Macedonians are doing. So he's getting all the churches to do that. This is Paul raising up money, not for himself, but it's for the people who are in a desperate need. So it's uh, really for, uh, we see the, the reasons are economic there in, in the sense that the, there's support that need to be done for the saints, the leaders, ministry, all of that applies today. The Christian's first obligation is giving to other believers. It's really what it amounts to. There's a collection done. But that is going to go and help other people. We're, we're to give to all people. People are need, not necessarily always Christians, 
But it starts with who? It starts with the household of God, with the, with the people of God. It starts with giving to the saints. All churches are to support other believers and other churches, other ministries. It's not just for ourselves, but it's for all other, other people who are in, in need and uh, whatever the need calls for. So Paul collected from many churches so they could give to another church or group of churches. Quite, uh, quite fascinating how it works out. Okay, well we're getting quite a pattern here, aren't we? Uh, we're dealing with the fact that um, they're, uh, they're for the saints. The reasons uh, is obviously for uh, economics. But there's the collection. Now, the time to give. When, when is a good time to, to give? Well, as we look back to 1 Corinthians 16, Paul lays out a good pattern here. He says, I've given orders to the church of Galatia, so you must do also. Okay, here's what you do. As they've done it, you do it too. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. The first day of the week. First day of the week is on Sunday. That's the day the church worshipped at that time. At first, the church was meeting at the temple like they always had done. And they started meeting at homes also every day of the week. They'd get together and gather around the apostles and uh, their teaching and uh, break bread and pray. That's what a church does. And they'd be singing. That's, you know, they've been doing that for 2,000 years. And it later on became the day to worship was Sunday. And it wasn't uh, too long as we see right here in 1 Corinthians, which was one of the first letters written by Paul. It celebrates the day of what? Resurrection. The first day of the week. That's when he arose. Look in John 20, 19 and 20. And there you have Jesus on His resurrection day meeting with the disciples. Minus Thomas, I believe. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. You notice that? That's a little phrase that's mentioned in there. On that very day that he arose, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now you guys remember that story, don't you? And that happened to be on that Sunday night. Uh, Then a week later... That is really the eighth day or the first day of the week again. Thomas happened to be there. He says, my Lord and my God. you know. And now he knew that Jesus really was the, the one who was resurrected standing before him. And that happened to be on that day. Um, we looked at Acts 20 verse 7, right? Did we look at that or not? No, we didn't, did we? 20 verse 7. <clears throat> Here he's going to Troas. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them, continued his message until midnight. Okay, they got together on when? The first day of the week. Sunday. This is not a legalistic thing. If people really wanted to meet together on other days of the week, they can do that too. But it is precious to the church and has been for all this time. We, We see that... But if somebody wants to have a worship on Saturday instead, I'm not going to be legalistic. Fine, if that's when they want to meet. But I think the biblical pattern is that's why we meet on Sundays. And it celebrates the resurrection. It's a good pattern. Uh, So I wouldn't be legalistic on somebody, but when somebody says, no, you have to worship on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, 
starting at Friday night as soon as the sun sets. And uh, you're not following the law if you don't do that. Now I have a problem. You guys have a problem. Because now they're putting their legalism on us who really are seeing that they, the church really met on the first day of the week. You can go ahead and meet on that, and that's fine. God will honor that. But this first day is important to me. If I want to do Saturday and Sunday, I can do that too. But it's not the only day of the week to be worshiping. So people will keep that on them. And we see in Galatians and Colossians, uh, these passages here, that that's when the church met. Uh, we're not under the new moons and the Sabbaths. We're not bound to that anymore. Believe me, there are a lot of people out there today that are into the laws, the regulations and ceremonies and rituals. And they think we're, we're still bound by under that. And we're, we're not. We've, that's been set free. It's been fulfilled. And uh, Christ is our Sabbath. Look in Revelation 1.10. By 90 A.D., we see the Apostle John call it something um, different than just the first day of the week. Um, Nine and ten. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, Alpha and Omega, first and last. The Lord's day. So it's probably being called that at that time. Again, it's the first day of the week they've been meeting. And here he is. He is uh, in uh, on the Isle of Patmos. He's been cast there, not voluntarily. Uh, he's been put there as, uh, I guess, a persecution to him. But um, we see it's called the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. That's whenever he saw the Lord. So it's a good chance, as most interpret that, that's what that is. The principle here is that it's to be done weekly. The First Corinthians 16. On the first day of the week. Here's what you do. Here, you bring your collections uh, together on the first day of the week. That's when the church worshipped. It celebrates that day. And so it's a, it's a regular basis. If we, if we have a weekly thing, then we know, okay, this is when to do it. We don't, it's not like once a year or once a month or something like that. Now, now, certain people get paid differently and such and would much rather just go ahead and pay on a monthly basis. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. But what we're talking about, there is a regularity here that is established. So every Sunday, the collection is a part of our worship to God. That's that's just as important as anything else. That's all a part of that. It's our worship. Our time of giving is to be regular. It's to be willing. It's to be a grateful commitment of our possessions to the Lord. And they're used for ministry for the rest of the saints. So that's the time to give. Well, who are the givers? Well, he mentions here, let each one of you lay something aside. There, it's talking about every one of us. Each of us. It's mentioned when nobody's excused from this because it's all part of, of the worship. We're all stewards of how we use what God has given us. Everyone is to be generous regardless of what the amount of income is. That's not the issue. The issue is that we are to, uh, to give. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2, The idea is uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They were liberal in what they were giving. They were giving uh, freely of that. So it's, it's uh, generous uh, regardless of what that amount of, of income is. 
in verse 5, only we had hoped that they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So it's, it's of giving to the, to the Lord. That's where it all starts anyway. Where's the place to give? There are a lot of places that want money and, and uh, granted, uh, it's a good thing that certain things are out there, whether they be ministries or just uh, things in general, natural disasters. It's, it's, that's good. But it starts, our giving starts with giving to our own local church. And uh, that doesn't restrain one from wanting to give other places too, but there's to be a dispersal of it. I won't turn to the passages. We were there earlier. We saw in Acts 2, they gathered it up and then they gave it to, to people who needed it, food and material matters that they needed. So they gave to whatever the need was. And that's the pattern. They brought the offerings to church. They were dispersed as the leaders uh, saw it. And uh, it's kind of interesting here. The word in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Now my version says storing, or uh, you can see laying up. There's a word there, treasury. I don't know if you have the word treasury. Uh, storing, that is the idea in my version. Thesaurizo. Thesaurizo. Or has anybody ever heard of thesaurus? You know what a thesaurus is, right? It's a collection of what? Words. Thesaurizo. And so that's the Greek there. And it means to put aside, to lay up, to store up. Or it means to treasure. A treasury of words. But in this case, it's a treasury for the valuables that are to be uh, stored up. Uh, the Greek temples, for instance, would have their treasury at their temple that have a repository of gifts that were put there. But in, interesting too, there at that time, that's where their banks were at, in the temple. So the, the temples would have their banks, a repository, or their thesaurizo, their treasury, and the banks is where the people would come and put their valuables or their money and have it stored up there. So Paul uses that word and uh, the church is to put aside to have some sort of repository for the offerings that they're going to dispense of that's going to go out of there. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Here's this Greek word. When they come into the house... They saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they saw Rizzo. They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This uh, is the occasion of the wise men. And they bring the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They opened their treasures or they opened their thesaurizo, their thesaurus, their collection, and gave at that time. If you look in 19 of Matthew, verse 21, same word, same thought. Jesus said to him, to the rich young ruler, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Treasure. Thesaurizo. Thesaurus. Collection. You'll have everything stored up in heaven. See, the sad thing is here, he was not willing to give up what was his biggest possession and that was what all he owned. That was his idol. He couldn't give it up. 
His treasury was too much. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the sad story, I don't ever see this young man becoming a believer. We're never given anything at the end. All I can say is at that time, he walked away from this, which is very sad because uh, even at that, Jesus loved this man, but it was a shame that he couldn't give, give things up for that. If you go to Mark 10.21 Yeah, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross, follow me. Go ahead and take up the cross. He liked his treasure too much. So Paul was saying that you should already have the collection. You should already have the offering as they had given regularly on Sundays so they wouldn't be giving at the last moment. So he'd already written them. They knew about it. They didn't have email at the time. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have um, cell phones to get a hold of them real quick. Uh, They were supposed to be prepared. So there was to be no delay as Paul, whenever he got there, would then take it to Jerusalem. When I come for this collection, for the believers who are poor there in Jerusalem, I don't want you all running around starting to dig into your pockets. Oh man, I forgot all about this. <laughs> See, Paul told them way ahead of time. You know what I mean? They're, they're digging in. Oh man, I gotta get, you know, Paul's gonna be leaving here in the next hour. I've gotta find some money. <laughs> they're digging quickly. He says, take up your collection, do it weekly. So when it's there, it's been stored up, and then you give it to me. That's a pretty good principle, isn't it? Rather than waiting for the last moment. Um, if money is already to be saved back, it can be used for a special need that comes up. Who knows what tomorrow may bring and somebody in this church or somebody outside the church may have a deep need. We've had that down through the years. Um, a lot of times it's people that we somebody might know and nobody else does know, but they need it. Well, we have a treasury. Money's already been stored up there and it can be taken out and used for that, that emergency. If, if it's prepared, then it can help immediately when that happens. That's a good principle, isn't it? That's why that's to be done. The, the primary place of giving is where? At the church. Why? To support God's people, His leaders, the ministry. Okay, let's move on to number two here. And this is dealing with the proportion. That was dealing with the regularity of it, wasn't it? Now the proportion. Everybody has to think about the Old Testament tithe. When you think of giving, everybody thinks of tithe. 10%. Nothing wrong with that. We not make fun of that at all. But that's usually what we think of. There's an established pattern in in the Old Testament. The first examples, um, even before the law, were entirely voluntary. We don't see a regular kind of giving time, even though there might have been in some way, but we don't see that. In Genesis 14, for instance, all the way back to the early days, Genesis 14, verse 18. You have Abraham and Lot here. You have the whole Sodom and Gomorrah story. Then Abraham Abram, Abraham comes in and, and gives a helping hand. And he meets Melchizedek, 
king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, El Elyon, the one true God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Uh, Abram won. And he gave him a tithe of all. Abram gives the tithe to Melchizedek, a priest there uh, of Salem, which is what we think to be Jerusalem now, or later, which will be later on. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High. He says, Yahweh El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who were with me, Aner, Eskol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. He says, I'm not going to take anything, except for you know the, the food that's been there. I'm, I'm giving this to them. That, and that's just from the spoils that he had, which must have been... Quite a bit. So Abram is doing that. In chapter 28 of Genesis, verse 20, we see it again. Now this is before the days of the law. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going to give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you gave, give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Abram is giving a tenth. Here later on, we have Jacob giving a tenth to God. So they knew something about a, a tithe. Tithe means 10%. The law is where we see the 10% and where that's required at. And uh, I'm not going to turn there. You can go on your own. But in Leviticus 27, verse 30... Numbers 18, verse 21. I think they're up there, aren't they? Uh, 18, 29. And Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29. Those were uh, passages dealing with the money that they were given. Uh, And even in Deuteronomy 14, we see every third year they were to give another 10%. So they had to have a 10%, another 10%, and then the other 10% every third year was to go to the priest. If you average that out, how much is the percentage they're giving? 23 and a third percent is their average per year. And this is really taxation, if you really want to know about it. And then they were have to give that 10% to, to the Levites. So it was not free will offering. It was actually a tax, like a tax that was required. In Malachi 3, 8 through 10, most people have heard that very often, dealing with the uh, storehouses. And in 3, verse 8 through 10, Will a man rob God, you who have robbed me? But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. When people talk about giving, they usually go with this passage. What's happening here? Well, uh, from what I gather, this is the 10% that was to be given to the Levites, an offering that they were holding back. Some of them were not giving that to them. The other taxation things they had to give, this other 10%, they were uh, holding it back. So they were condemned for failure to pay the Levites who were you know, the priests. 
Um, that was to be actually a voluntary giving, and they were not doing that. Look in Proverbs eleven twenty four, or at least as a whole. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is one who scatters yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. But the one who scatters, the one who puts it out there, increases. But the one who does not, then that leads to poverty. Just a principle there. This, we're talking about voluntary giving there. This is giving to the Lord generously. Give to the Lord first. There was a required giving, that was a taxation. There's a free will giving, and that comes from the heart, and it's all about giving from the heart. Now that's the Old Testament principle. The New Testament principle, nowhere in the New Testament, I'm just being honest, I'm not trying to shake a tree here, I'm just saying, you can't really find that the church is to do that 10%. Oh, wow, good, such relief. Well, hang on. No percentage is ever given for us to give. Say, I want to know how much it is. It must be like what they say in the law. Well, if that be the case, really you need to give about 23 and third percent every year, which you probably already give more than that in taxes to the government. But there's a silence here on on really the tithe. It's simply not there. Now, the Pharisees were tithing and mint and cumin. I mean, everything that they had, they were supposed to divvy out there. But remember, they were under the dealing with the law. That was their problem. They were following that. But it, we're not told that we are to be under that 10% law. We're to give whatever we purpose in the heart. And hang with me there. I want you to realize who's writing this in throughout the New Testament, the epistles when he talks about giving. Paul. What was Paul at one time? He was like a, he was Pharisee. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Benjamite. If anybody was a, a, the top of the line Jew, this guy was it. I mean, he was there. He was number one. Had the best teaching and everything. He was a Pharisee. Don't you think he did the, the mint and cumin? Can you imagine him going to the account and doing all I bet he did. I mean, this man was righteous in himself. And Paul writes later after being the Hebrew of Hebrews, and even though he had followed the law in every way, in his own mind, he really thought he did. We know he couldn't have. But now he's saying, you are free to give what you think you ought to give. Look in Luke. I'm going to go back to Luke here for a moment. Luke 6.38. Luke 6.38 Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, if you're giving, you say, hey, listen, if I give and I wind up getting more, this is seed money here, and if I do that, then I'll even get more, and I'm going to expect to get more. I can go out and buy me a bus. I can go buy me a plane. Now, where's our heart at? It's about getting something in return. It's not really, hey, I want to give to the Lord simply for the fact this is a matter of coming out of the heart. Now, this is a principle. And you can't outgive the Lord because He owns it all anyway. But it may come back in different ways than you would ever dream. But God has done that. He's never let us down. You ever notice that? And He has blessed us. A lot of times we think it has to be in a certain monetary way. Um, 
but he's saying that that is a principle. If we if we give to God, it's like it, it, there is a sense in what we sow, there is a reaping that can be positive, can be negative, right? But uh, that that is true. If we look in Second Corinthians chapter nine, there's really good principles in all this. But we always have to remember: well, Why am I giving? Am I giving just so I can get back? But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If between you and the Lord it's dealing with your heart, he's saying here, not don't do it grudgingly or because you have to do it. He says, but you want to be cheerful about it, joyously. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And you remember, the poor saints in Jerusalem, they really didn't have anything. And they had been giving and giving and it looked like, Lord, look what we're doing. We're giving and we're not getting anything back here. I don't think that was the issue. And then later on, they did start getting the collections that came in. God knew when it was time to do that. Um, they just gave because they knew it was a need and it was important that those people had that. So, And a lot of people say, oh, I love the tithe. It gets them off the hook. Here, it's 10% right there. Boom. Like I just put it in there. I've done my thing for the week. I'm not, I don't need to do anything else. I gave 10% to the church. It goes to the Lord. Okay, great. Well, they think that the other 90% is theirs. You see? The tithing thing really frees people up because, oh, 10%, and the rest is mine. No, no, no. No, you see, that whole 100%, you don't own that. You really don't own that. that that's all God's. If He owns everything and they're in and He owns us, then we don't own anything. He has lent us to be able to use it. And He gives us... Hopefully we have good stewardship with the homes that we have, where we live, our job that we have, the health that we have, uh, the food, uh, the clothing, uh, our cars. Think of everything that we have and we're just to stewardship that stuff. He gave it to us. So well, I worked. Yeah, but He gave you the job. And he gave the job uh, or to whoever's running the job. And you keep boiling it down. It's, it's all God's. And sometimes that 10% might go over the 10%. We have a presupposition that has to stop at 10%. I think people that are making a lot of money, really, just because they're doing the tithe, uh, may not be giving cheerfully. They're just doing it because they're supposed to be doing it. And guess what? They could give a lot more than that. But it's between them... And the Lord, as of course we look at the word, it's to our discretion. We're to give as we as we prosper. It says here in Corinthians, as we have that. We wouldn't expect people who are down and out. They don't have a job at the time. Don't have any flow of income. They barely have enough food to get by. Would we really expect them to give money like they had given before? And that's what he says. Storing up as he may prosper. Whatever he's prospering with at the time. Sometimes we may be rich. Sometimes we may be poor. Paul knew what that was like. You know, he abounded and other times he didn't. But uh, So there's a lot of things that go on there. Many give more uh, than others. Uh, some have to give less. Uh, that same group of people that were doing it before now are giving less because of circumstances. And these days and times we understand that. The, di- the idea is to give with joy. And because it's all thankfulness to the Lord. We're to give as God has prospered us. And that would be the proportion. 
That's the proportion. Don't forget where everything comes from. I think uh, Zach had a verse up earlier that was dealing with the uh, the James passage. Every gift comes from the Father of lights. Everything is from Him, right? Everything. Everything we have all is from Him. The higher the proportion that He prospers you, the higher the portion, proportion you give. In, in whatever way we, it'll, it'll come out. Sometimes it can be very difficult to get uh, to get a tithe, to get that 10%. Don't feel guilty. Maybe you find it hard to believe, but there are people that uh, really are struggling just to get by. I think we know that. Paul doesn't legislate, legislate anything. You notice that? He says, hey, look, you give as God prospered you. That's what you do. Your circumstances can change from week to week even. That's why we need to assess them week to week and whatever that uh, can be given. Uh, we, we, we're to be no man's debtor. And we're to give to God and then and not rob our uh, neighbor. I mean, we might be given to God, but uh, somebody might be in great need uh, too and we want to make sure that we meet the needs. Lastly and, and quickly here, it's the administration of it. So just in four verses, he gives us a lot to go by. He says in verse 3, and when I come, whenever you, uh, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Whomever you have approved to go travel with this, but if it's fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Paul's saying, hey, I'm not touching it. Who's ever going to go there? Um, they're going to go, I'll go with them. But, um, you know, he wasn't going to get in a situation where they say, well, Paul just wants the money. And we know a lot of ministries is where you've got the head leader and he's gathering all the money in. And later on, they usually expose who they really are by not ever paying their taxes and they're just getting the money and they wind up buying helicopters and limousines and million-dollar homes and we hear about those stories. Shame on them. Uh, they're, they're getting the, the uh, poor people who don't have hardly any kind of income at all usually the elderly, and they get their money and they feed off that and they promise them, hey, if you give, then you, you will get uh, ten, ten times the amount or a hundred times the amount, 100% return on what you invest in this ministry. And uh, those are leeches. I can't stand that kind of ministry. It really bothers me. That's the reason I don't go around you know, really trying to preach on money a lot only when it's in the text because um, I don't want to be begging money. Uh, the, the church, this church has been very blessed and has uh, helped out many situations of things, but it's always good to know how this is supposed to work. Integrity, it's essential. And in many ministries today, we've seen where integrity was not at the top, and uh, we've seen a lot of ministries go down, and the rest of the world sees that. The leaders here were to be respected uh, people, whoever you have there. The funds are to be handled by them. People trust them. They know they're responsible. Um, they're not people that are going to be accused of money grabbing. And uh, Paul is saying, hey, I, I refuse to handle this personally. Uh, that's wisdom in that. Other people wouldn't see him as being honest, maybe. He's trying to rip them off. So he is abstaining from all appearances of evil. Uh, we're to give intelligently. It's your duty and your giving not just to scatter the money all around you without knowing what's going on with it or at least say, hey, you know, I, I uh, want to make sure that everything is right. Some people just give to everything they hear, you know, some starving African or whatever. And, and that might be very true, but who is taking that money? Are they really taking it to them? You know, I might want to check that out. Uh, you need to know that the money you're giving is legitimate and, and 
done wisely. There's a tremendous illustration here, I think, uh, draws us all together, and this is how it goes. God made all of His creation to give. He made everything around us to give. He made the sun and the moon and the stars to give forth light. He made the clouds to give forth rain. He made the earth to give forth yielding seed and plants and vegetables. And He also designed His supreme creation, man, to give. But fallen man is the most reluctant giver of all God's creation. But one of the surest signs that you've been recreated, that you're redeemed, that you're regenerated, is that you're a saved person. It's your willingness to give. And then he went on to quote from this man from Athens, a state statesman, Aristides, and he's giving a witness of the church. I'm going to quote him here. Aristides wrote of Christian people in the 2nd century. They walk in humility. This is the church, folks. They walk in humility and kindness. And falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. This is coming from uh, somebody on the outside. They despise not the widow, and they grieve not the orphaned. He that hath distributes liberally to him that hath not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof, and they rejoice over him as if he were their brother. They call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit and in God. But when one of their poor passes away from the world and any of them see him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. If they hear that any of their number is in prison or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it's possible that he may be delivered, they deliver him. If there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessity, wait till you hear this. They will fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with his necessity of food. That's an incredible testimony of the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. You give us principles and things to go by in Your Word that really are very practical. And it's things that uh, we as a church want to be committed to. Thank You for blessing all of us in so many different ways. And that we can be a blessing to others. That's what You do. You just rotate things around and You use people as channels, churches as channels, believers as channels. And uh, just work it through. Thank You so much for that. Help us to learn better how we can honor and worship You and uh, through all of Your Word. And as we continue on today in our worship, we pray, Amen.